Anyway, we are, um, we're continuing with a series, God of the Valley. Today, uh, we've been through two valleys already. We've talked that God is the hi- God of the hills and the valleys um, from our first passage. And last week was the Valley of Elah with David and Goliath. Uh, probably a message, if you were here or watching online, you won't forget because I almost killed somebody. Okay? So... <laughs> He is not here. Um, no, there may be reasons for that. So anyway, we'll have to talk to our lawyers um, today about uh, the, the waiver we're working up for. Anyway, um, but hey, we are um, we're getting to the, to the scripture right now. Ezekiel chapter 37, you can turn over there. Um, if, uh, if you have trouble finding it, um, you can go to the Old Testament and uh, the pathway there is Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, and then Ezekiel. It's a really hard book to find, but I, I, I trust that you'll make your way there as I, as I introduce where we're going this morning. Also, if you don't know, um, I use the ESV version, so if that helps you when you're looking up the passage on your phone, or if you have a Bible that's similar to that, you'll, you'll be able to read along with us as well as on the screen. So, But the way I wanted to start, as you, as you find your way over there, is uh, yes, we've been talking about God being the God of not only the mountains, but, but God of the valley. And it is in the valley where God does his, his deepest, closest work in us. The, the valleys that seem dark, where we feel alone, is actually the places where God is, is using to develop us and strengthen us and draw us closer to Him. And we're, we're going to see that this morning in the text that we're going to. It's another valley, and we've called this valley the Valley of, of Bones. Maybe a familiar passage to some, but I hope for, for a lot of you this is, this is something that is fresh and exciting that, that we look at. But as I approach the text this morning, as, as we get to this text, we, 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 see, we see a place where, where the people that were going through this valley were feeling as if their best days were behind them. I don't know if you've ever felt that, that way. Have you ever felt that way? Like, like man, I, I just wish I could go back to the good old days. I just feel like my best days are behind me. Yeah, I, I, I feel like that sometimes as well. You know, I, I, was, I was thinking about how easy it is to look back on life and actually to remember it as being better than it was. Uh, it's, it's very easy for me to do that, oftentimes because actually scientific studies actually show that we forget a lot of the bad and we remember most of the, the good. And so, so that's, that's why we, we talk about the good old days. We, we, maybe you had a good childhood. You, you talk about your childhood. I had a great childhood as a, as a kid. I remember those being carefree. Um, our, our family was great. We grew up in a great home, had great parents, as you can see. Um, and um, and man, we, we enjoyed life. We actually traveled a lot. We traveled a lot through Canada and the U.S. We saw almost every national park there is. And, uh, and, and that's a credit to my dad because he loves to travel. Um, but uh, I, I just remember, man, uh, a life just full of hockey, full of music, um, just, just with the support of my family. And, and I look back on my childhood as something being a very positive thing. Um, you may have that same thing as well. Or you can remember a point in life where you're just like, man, I wish I could go back to that. I wish I could get back there. Not, rem- not also remembering that it has its challenges as well, okay? But man, for you, it may be, um, it may be that it's our community. Um, I, I can hear, hear from those of you who have lived here a long time 
that uh, when I talk to you about um, either the town of Payton City or maybe it's New Martinsville or Middleburn or Sardis or, or Moundsville or St. Mary's, um, you, you talk about how, how these towns used to have their, their heyday. Um, you, you talk about the, the Payton City Wildcats. You talk about the biggest little band in the land. Who, who was a part of that biggest little band in the land? Anybody here? Yeah, Kira was. All right. Yeah, Hannah, and yep, there's, there's a lot of you back there. Lynn, Linstead, look at that. Was it the biggest little band in the land? Yeah. Absolutely, all right. Yeah, you, we've, we've talked to you guys about that, and remember the heyday of Payton City. And if, you know, if, if you look back, you'll remember the, the rivalries in football. Um, you'll, you'll remember uh, the Sistersville Tigers and, and the Wildcats and the Magnolia Blue Eagles and, and the awesome football games and just the engagement from the community. And you look at it now and you're like, man, how can we get back to that? And you think, man, I, I think our best days are, are behind us. You even look at, at the booming economy that Payton City used to have. Uh, Payton City used to, used to employ a lot of people in factories and in plants. Um, Wismac Glass was a big employer here. Um, they also uh, employed a lot of people at Carter Iron Company way back. And if you go all the way back to the, the early 1900s, Payton City Park, where we, used, where we have our services, did you know that that was, a, that was a destination location for people all around Ohio and West Virginia? They had what was called the Mirror, which was this huge dance hall. And it's, it's hard to even think about it right now. That also had a roller skating rink and one of the largest, um, largest merry-go-rounds uh, in, in West Virginia. It's pretty awesome, okay? You can look at pictures of that, and it's really, really neat. People that have lived a long time here in this place, they will say, man, things are not like they used to be. And, and no, they're, they're not and they'll, they'll say, man, those were the days. Those were the days when we were thriving. And now you look at the challenges that our valley faces. You look at uh, the unemployment. You look at the addiction. You, you look at the abuse and families and marriages. Um, they're just not where they should be, not where they were back then in their heyday. And it's easy to think our best days are behind us. It's easy to think that. Now, it may not be our town. You, you, could, you could also say this about your family. You may, you may have raised children, and now they're out of diapers, and they're all getting grown up, and they're not as cute as they used to be anymore. Um, we, we, praise God, just got our last child out of diapers, and we are not going back, okay? <laughs> We're not looking. Yes, yes, praise God for that. Yeah, all right. Yeah, that's something to be happy about. But may, I, I don't know what it is for some of you that have grown children and maybe they're off in college or they're married themselves, but man, you're just like, some of, some of you are like, man, I wish I could go back to those days when life was just a little simpler. Maybe you have teenagers and you're like, man, I wish they were small again. Our problems were so much easier back then, right? You're identifying with this. We're not there yet ourselves, but man, I, I've heard from you and you, you may be thinking, man, I, I'm losing some hope. My best days, I think, are, are behind me as a parent. Or maybe, maybe your kids are grown and out of the house and they don't want anything to do with you anymore. And you're like, man, I wish I could go back. I wish I could go back. Maybe it's, maybe it's also, I'm just trying to make a connection. Maybe it's your health. 
Maybe it's, maybe it's just your age. You're just like, man, I wish I could be younger. Um, maybe, it's, uh, maybe it's your friendships or your finances. People actually do this, and this is where I get it a lot. People do this with church. We, I, I can remember celebrating our 60th anniversary as a church. Uh, I think it was back in 2015. And we had a lot of previous pastors come in. And you know, all that I heard <coughs> the whole time was the good old days, the good old days, the good old days, how things were so awesome. We had a choir, we had, um, you know, we had potlucks, we had uh, Christmas caroling, we had Christmas programs, and, and man, those were the days, those were the days when the church was thriving. And there was almost this mindset of, we need to get back to that. We need to go back there so that we can experience that and we, we, can, we can feel like the church is what it should be. And, and I'm looking as a pastor, I'm looking at this and I'm like, God is actually active right now. He's doing something in this church. These are the good days. You know, that's right. Yeah, amen, amen. And we see it, don't we? But also, can we, can we just recognize that even though we see it right now, you may, you may just attend church, but I'll, I'll guarantee you, when, when you're in leadership or when you're helping, when you get into a core, there's, it's hard. You know, there, there's, there's difficult things that we do. There's sacrifices that our leaders make every single day to make this church what it is. It's not just easy. It's not all good. It's hard. Thank you. Yeah, amen. Amen. But as, as we think about this, as, as we think about if, if, if we just consider the good old days, if we just think that, that the past and, and what's behind us, that that's the good old days, that, that the best days are, are, are behind us, it's very easy for us to lose hope if we have that kind of mindset. And I'll tell you, as, as I opened up, I, I believe that there is a group of people in the Bible who also had that same mindset who had the mindset that their best days were behind them. And it was the nation of, of Israel and of Judah. See, um, they had their heyday as well. And just to summarize some of their story, you may know a little bit about their past. You remember their great, 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 great grandfather, Abraham, who God called and he said, I want you to leave your home, homeland and I want you to go to the place that I will tell you. I will, I will make of you, he said, a great nation, God said. This was a man who had no children. But miraculously, he, he provided him a son in Isaac. And, and he said, I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to bless those who bless you. And all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. Miraculously, God provided him a child in, in Isaac. Also, uh, another, another son named Ishmael. But man, through, through Isaac and then through his son, Jacob, and Jacob then had 12 sons. We get to Joseph, who then went to Egypt. We remember his story where he, he then saved his family from that seven-year famine. They all moved to Egypt. They grew to become a great nation there and, and then endured slavery. They went through hard times, didn't they? They did 400 years of calling out to the Lord, God, would you free us? God sent a deliverer in Moses. This is their history. They, they are delivered from Egypt. God then brings them to the banks of the Red Sea, and the Egyptians were actually pursuing them. When he parts the waters, they cross through on dry land. He, he smashes it down on the Egyptian army, and they're, they're, they're miraculously slay, saved. God provides for them with manna and quail. He leads them with, with a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day. They feel close to God. They're like, this is the, when we felt close to God. 
He gives them the Ten Commandments. He shows his care for them. He gives them purpose. He leads them to the promised land. And after 40 years of wandering in the desert, he miraculously causes them to be able to fight their enemies. And they miraculously win and win and win and win and, and, and get into the promised land. And that's where they find themselves. But what happens is that sometimes when, when we have a vision for, for the future and, and what, what, what the ideal might be, after we've gotten there, then we lose it and we lose faith in, in God. And that's what happened to Israel. They lost their faith in the God who brought them there. And uh, they actually, in that time, turned away from their God. They forgot God and they rebelled against Him and turned to the gods of the nations that were around them. They worshiped the idols, and God sent prophet after prophet to call them to repent, but they would not turn back to the Lord. They wouldn't turn back to Him. And so God walked them through what I call a dark valley. You know, sometimes God will bring you through a valley so that you can feel His closeness. I know there's some of you who are going through some health difficulties or family difficulties, and, and you've been through a dark valley. You're in a dark valley right now, and what, what I hear you saying to me and when I talk to you is it's caused you to seek God and seek His presence and, and pray more and, and stick to Him and read His Word. And, and that is what I believe that God intended for His people. He walked them through the dark valley of captivity. He let two nations, Assyria and Babylon, come in and disperse them and take, take captive their people and uh, take them from their home uh, city of Jerusalem and the other cities in the promised land. No longer were they ruling there. And for that nation who God had done so much for, now this was, this was almost a period where they were looking back and they were like, I'm hopeless. There is no hope for us. And what, what happens is we get to Ezekiel. Ezekiel is a prophet. He's a messenger from God. That's what a prophet is. And God has sent a message to Ezekiel that he wants him to deliver to these people who are feeling hopeless and helpless and lost and confused. And you may be there right now. You may, may, may have come from a mountaintop and you're in a valley right now. And um, this message, I, I believe that there's some parallels that God wants to teach us through this time about how to go through a valley, how to go through a valley. And so, so I said Ezekiel um, chapter 37 is our text, but to give you a little bit of, just a little bit of background before we get to 37, just keep your finger there and turn to chapter 2. Turn to chapter 2. If you don't want to, you can look on the screen. But Ezekiel is going to hear from God. And here is Ezekiel's commission as a prophet. It says in Ezekiel chapter 2, Starting at verse, verse 1, um, it says this, And he said to me, Son of man, stand on your feet, and I will speak with you. And he spoke to me, the Spirit entered into me, and set me on my feet. And I heard him speaking to me, and he said to me, Son of man, I send you to the people of Israel. To these people who are discouraged and hopeless. To the nation of rebels. That's who they were. They'd rebelled against God. They'd rebelled against me. And their fathers have transgressed against me to this day. The descendants are also impudent and stubborn. I send you to them and you shall say to them, thus says the Lord. And whether they hear 
or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house, they will know that a prophet has been among them. And you, son of man, be not afraid of them, nor be afraid of their words, though briars and thorns are with you, and you sit on scorpions. Do not be afraid of their words, nor be dismayed at their looks, for they are a rebellious house, and you shall speak my words to them, whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house. See, what God warned Ezekiel of right up front was that even though I want you to declare my word to them, they're probably not going to receive it the way that you expect. Expect to be opposed. Expect to be rejected. Expect to get funny looks. Expect to be called names and them say nasty things about you. But don't be afraid. My message through you is more important than their response, Ezekiel. And church, can I just say the same thing? There's a parallel here for us. Our message of the gospel is more important than the response that you might get in your workplace or in your school or students, among your friends. Um, your message of the gospel and your hope in Jesus is more important than how they may respond. Our, our world is becoming more and more opposed to the message of the gospel and the truth of Scripture. But, but don't, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed. Expect to be rejected. God has called us to do it anyway. Like Ezekiel. Okay, God called Ezekiel to go and speak, not his words, but what is it? The word of the Lord. And so now we're going to turn over to chapter 37. And here's where we see Ezekiel's vision of the dry bones. Ezekiel 37 and we'll just read the beginning of it. And remember that these people are the people that, that um, God had called um, Ezekiel to speak to. They were hopeless. They were helpless. They were, they were feeling lost and discouraged and displaced. They were feeling as if their best days were behind them. And here's what God wanted them to hear. 37 verse 1. The hand of the Lord was upon me. And he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, they were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. Now we can just, just imagine the scene that Ezekiel is brought to right now. You know, our, our valley is... is Especially in the summer, it's, it's full of life. It's full of greenery. This, this valley was like a desert. It was dry and it was full of bones. Completely opposite than, than what we would see here in our valley. The question comes up at this point, where are these bones from? What, what are these bones, these dry bones in the valley? I, I believe that God wanted to represent through these bones the defeated soldiers of Judah and of Israel. That these were the bones of the fallen soldiers, those that were defeated defending Judah and Israel from their enemy nations of Assyria and Babylon, representing a dead and defeated nation. And something that you'll notice about these bones is that there are many of them and they are scattered along the floor of the valley and they are very dry. And that's an important detail to note. These bones were from bodies that had died and then been desecrated. Now, now when, when, a fallen, when, when there's a soldier that falls in battle, especially as Americans, Americans uh, we 
honor those that, that serve in our armed forces, especially those that die on the front line, die in battle, die in their service. Do we leave them just to rot? No, we don't. We, we, we bring them home in, in a casket covered with an American flag and then we give them uh, in a, you know, a, a honoring ceremony for their service for our country. And, and it, it would have been the same way for them is that they wouldn't just leave these soldiers out just to die and rot like a, like a deer on the side of a road. No, we, we bury our dead. We show honor to those that, that serve our nation. But for these people, they were not valued. They were desecrated. They were left to rot. Our soldiers, these soldiers were left to rot, degraded, disrespected. They left their corpses. And now... They were very dry, it says. Not only were these bones dead, they had been dead for a long time. Now, I'll be honest, um, when someone dies, we go to a funeral and some, sometimes we think, we, we see them laying there and we think, oh, there's, there may be some hope, maybe they'll live again, maybe they'll take a breath and be alive. There's, there's some part of us that just wants that, right? But when we see a skeleton, when we see dead bones, we're like, no, there's no hope at all. And that's the question that God asks. In verse 3, keep on reading, it says, And he said to me, he said to me, son of man, Ezekiel, can these bones live? Seems like a silly question. The obvious answer is no, but Ezekiel did not respond that way, did he? He said, and I answered, oh Lord, you know, you know. Ezekiel didn't hope in the bones, but he had hope in God. Ezekiel did not know what God wanted to do with the bones, but he was confident that God did know. And it makes me think about us and about maybe what you would consider to be impossible bones in your valley right now. Maybe it would be the bones of a, of a difficult marriage. Maybe it would be the bones of an unexplained sickness. Something that you've been trying to get medical answers for, but you just continue to, to fail and fail and they can't resolve it and you feel discouraged. Maybe it's the bones of of divorce, or joblessness, or debt, or frustration, or pain, the bones of doubt, the bones of death, the bones of struggle. Can I just tell you, when you think about the bones in your valley, you fill in the blank. What are those bones? What are those things that feel impossible, feel like those dry bones where there's no hope? Think about them right now and consider, consider this. Those, those are the bones that are a product of sin. Because sin has entered into this world we deal with sickness, with sadness, with death, and with pain. This is the product of our sin, sinful nature. But you know what? Even though we feel hopeless, God knows. God knows, and He has a plan. And He made a way to defeat sin. And that's, that's, that's Jesus, our Savior. That's, that's where we're going today. I'll just give you a spoiler right now. But He, he, said, he said to Ezekiel, I want you to do something. I want you to do something, and it sounds crazy, but, but he said, I want you to speak. I want you to prophesy. In verse 4, and he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word 
of the Lord. Let's just talk about prophecy just for one minute. Prophesy, what does that mean? Well, the way that Ezekiel prophesied was he was called as a messenger from God, and and that's what a prophet is. Someone who hears from God and speaks on behalf of him. And so the question is for today, do we prophesy today? There are many, many of you who have varying opinions on this, but I can tell you in a simple answer, yes, we do prophesy today if we take the simple definition that a prophet speaks the words of the Lord. What do we have today? We have the word of the Lord. And so when someone preaches or teaches the Word of God, in a way they are prophesying, not foretelling, but forthtelling the Word of God, speaking forth the Word of God. And you can do that yourself in your home as a mom or dad. Um, You can do it to yourself as you read God's Word. You can do it in your workplace as you share what God has done and you share His Word. God's Word is a prophecy, His revelation to us. And so we, we, we reverence God's word as, as, as something that is valuable to us. It was, it was Charles Spurgeon who, who commented and said something that I'm going to put up on the screen. He said this, if we want revivals, we must revive our reverence for the word of God. If we want conversions, we must put more of God's word into our sermons Even if we paraphrase it in our own words, it must still be his word upon which we place our reliance for the only power which blesses men lies in that. Let's consider that as a church. Valley Church, we are to be those that preach the word, not just, not just me preaching on a Sunday morning to you, but each one of us valuing the word of God, valuing that it will, it will bring life to those that are in dark valleys, valuing it in our, in our life when we, we want to know the truth, when we don't want to obey and follow God. Paul, in his, his letter to Timothy, a young pastor, he, he said this as an encouragement to him. He said, he said preach the word. Very simple. Preach the word. Let that be your message. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. How do we do that? By preaching the word. We shouldn't be afraid of preaching the word here at Valley Church. It isn't my words that matter. It isn't, isn't the words of our elders that matter. It isn't the words of our teachers. It's the word of God that matters. It's what we place, place value in. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God, for the salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And so, so as we consider what what. God had just called Ezekiel to do. He said, go and preach to them. Go prophesy them. Go and bring my word to them that they may have life. And that's our call also. It's our call call individually as members, as a church body, to bring the word of God to our valley. How do we expect hope and healing to come to our valley? It's by the word of God. But that's not it. We're going to keep on going and we're going to understand what it is. It's a combination of these two things, okay? Verse 5, keep on reading. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. 
And I will lay sinews upon you, and I will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So there's the work that God called Ezekiel to do, to go and prophesy, to bring the word of the Lord to these bones. And then there was the work that God called Ezekiel to do, in God, that, that God promised that he would do in bringing life, breathing life into these bones. So let's see what happens. Verse 7. Keep on reading. Verse 7. It says, So I prophesied as I commanded, as I was commanded, and I, as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling. Reminds me of that song, Rattle, that we sing here at church, right? And that's what the song was written from. And the bones came together, bone to its bone, And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. There was no breath in them. When Ezekiel prophesied to the bones, what happened? They came together. There were sinews and flesh and skin that covered them. A miraculous work of God had happened where he brought them all together into a human being into the form of a human, all, all, the, all the necessary elements were there except for one thing, was breath. Breath had not entered them. They were still dead. They were human corpses, but without breath, they were still dead. And it reminds me, church, we can receive a lot of information. You may read a lot of God's word. We may, we may teach it. We may memorize it. You may have memorized whole chapters of scripture. You may know a lot of, a lot of catechism. You may, grew up, may have grown up in Sunday school and known, been, been really good at Bible trivia. Um, you know, but, but if it, the Spirit of God has not entered into you, you are just like these corpses right here. You have all the necessary elements, but you don't have the breath of the Spirit within you. Concept rings true for us today. That's who we are without the Spirit of God. Without the Spirit of God, the Word of God has no effect. We need the Spirit of God. We need His life. And that, that we see demonstrated right here. As Ezekiel, he preached to the Word of God to these bones We see that they were still dead, but keep on reading with me in verse 9. He says this, God says to Ezekiel, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy to the breath, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God. Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on the slain that they may live. And so I prophesied as I was commanded, and so I prophesied as he commanded me, And the breath came into them, and they lived, and they stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. What did Ezekiel do? I would say Ezekiel, he prayed. He prophesied to the breath. He spoke to the Spirit of God. He asked for the Spirit of God to come in and breathe life into these dry bones. And so there, there's a part that, that he was faithful to and a part that we're faithful to in preaching the word of God. But we also, there's a second element that we need to tell you about if we're to be effective as a church, is that we need to pray. 
We need to pray for the Spirit of God to breathe life into our own church, into our own valley, into those conversations, into the scripture studies, into to the groups that form to study, or study God's word. We don't want to just gain a lot of information. We want transformation. And that is what God can do by his Spirit. See, if we're all word and no spirit, we will be an army of dead soldiers with no life. What does an army do? An army is not a bunch of spectators. An army is not a bunch of consumers. They're Christians who are well-ordered, who are on a mission, who are strong, who are courageous. That's what an army does. And they go out to defeat the enemy. But guess what? We got to pray for it. Spurgeon, he goes on and says this, The preaching has its share in the work, but it is the praying which achieves the result. For after he had prophesied to the four winds and not before the bones began to live. Church, we, we, we have a saying that we've adopted here that prayer is the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. You know, we may really work hard. We may, we may try to, to push things along and try to be innovative and, and try to be relevant. But man, if we are not praying and asking for the Spirit of God to do a deep work, our, 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 our work will just be surface level. It will just be like those dead bodies, full of skin, full of flesh, but with no breath. And we need the Holy Spirit to breathe life into our work, into our ministry as a church. We need the Holy Spirit in our own lives to breathe life into God's word as it comes upon us. As we keep on going in verse 11, we see God continue to just explain to Ezekiel what this all means. And here, here's, here's where I want to be really careful. We don't just do a direct application that we, we're not Israel, we're not, we are not them, but there's parallels that we can claim right now, okay? But specifically, what, what God tells Ezekiel right here is, is not for us, it's for, it's for the nation of Israel. It says in verse 11, And he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. That's who they are. These bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, and we know their background, their discouragement, our bones are dried up. They don't have hope. Our hope is lost. We're indeed cut off. They did not think that there was any pathway back to God's favor. They didn't, even though God had called them over and over again, repent, return to me, I'll receive you back. No, they didn't think that there was a pathway back. They felt like they were unworthy. Their best years were behind them. They felt like a lost cause. You may feel like that today. Can I just tell you, that may be a good place for you to be because you can't receive the gospel if you believe you can get to God on your own strength. Verse 12, he goes on to say, Therefore prophesy and say to them, Again, thus says the Lord, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and I raise you up from your graves, O my people, and I will put my spirit within you and you shall live. And I will place you in your own land and you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it, 
declares the Lord. What a promise. And can we just recognize this is a promise for Israel. Now, there's a view that are, that are history buffs, um, end times gurus, and uh, you'll read this and get really excited because, man, there's promises that we got to look for. Have they been fulfilled yet? And what, what we see is, as we look at, at what this prophecy said is that there may be a partial fulfillment of this prophecy today, but I can tell you by any estimation, any realistic look at the history of Israel, this has not been fulfilled in full. See, when, it, when, uh, when Israel gained its status as a state in 1948, this could have been a partial fulfillment. There's also people that, that believe that those dry bones could represent the six million Jews who were victims of the Holocaust. Isn't that interesting? But man, their restoration has got to be more than just that. Because while that may be a physical restoration and something that we praise God for, there is still a spiritual restoration that is still awaiting that has not happened yet where the nation of Israel turns to Jesus, their Messiah, as their Savior and Lord, which will happen in the end days, in the end time, end times. And so as we look at this, this prophecy, yes, there are promises and there are parallels that then we can also find encouragement from today. Let me just tell you some. Like Israel, you and I, may see ourselves as having dead, dry bones in the valley. Because you and I, apart from Jesus, we can see ourselves in those dead, dry bones. And as Ezekiel preached the word of the Lord, I, I want you to hear the word of the Lord for us today in the New Testament. Because a parallel passage that I believe speaks to us directly is, is Ephesians chapter 2. If you want to turn there, it's a great place to study. Ephesians chapter 2. But it says this about us specifically. It says this about our spiritual condition before, before God. It says, and you were dead. You were dead. We're like those dry bones. In the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. And you followed the course of the, this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Verse 3. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages we might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus and this is a key verse. For by grace have you been saved through faith. And it is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared beforehand that we 
should walk in them. Church, we like Israel, parallel as being dead and dry bones, destined for destruction. What can dead bones do? Nothing. Hopeless. Helpless. They can't do anything. And church, unless you see yourself like that, unless you see yourself as unworthy and incapable of coming to God because of your sin, you can't receive the gospel. We're helpless. We're hopeless. We're lost. But praise God. In verse 4, you see God. He is rich in mercy. And he made us alive in Christ. It wasn't anything that we did. It wasn't anything that we did in our own strength. His grace has saved us. It's not our own doing. It's a gift of God. So what you need to realize is this. You don't come to God on the basis of your own works. You don't come to God on the basis of being a good Christian or a good Baptist or a Methodist or a Lutheran or a Catholic. None of those things merit God's favor. In fact, if you think you're a good Christian, it means that you don't understand the gospel because you're not good. Actually, we're unworthy. And because we're unworthy, because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death, that's what we deserve. But praise God, it doesn't end there. For it says right here in the scripture, while, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, it says there, verse 5, he made us alive together with Christ. You need Jesus. You need the hope that he can bring. And so as we end today, that is what I want to challenge you. And is what I want to challenge you as well to then impart to our valley. Because like Ezekiel, we're in a valley. And you may, you may see it as not being like a desert of, full of dead bones. But if, if we see it the way that God sees it, we would see it that way. That we need to, like Ezekiel, prophesy to the dead bones. Say to them, hear the word of the Lord. So three things that I want, uh, four things I want you to do. They won't be on the screen. You can write them down if you want. First of all, personally, don't give up hope. Don't give up hope. You may be going through a deep, dark valley right now that's full of hopelessness, full of impossibilities. But because of what you know about Jesus, who's given you life, He's given you eternity because of the resurrection of Jesus and his death on the cross. You don't have to have hope. Seriously, ask yourself, why are you feeling hopeless now? Why are you feeling hopeless? And choose to trust in Jesus by believing in him. Second, number one, don't give up hope. Second, preach the word. Preach the word. If revival is going to happen, if there's going to be life in our valley, we've got to be dedicated to the word of God. God works through his word and then breathes life into it by his spirit. And so if you're telling yourself, my best years are behind me, you're hopeless, you're discouraged, maybe people around you are hopeless and discouraged, share with them what God says about them. Share with them about the work of Jesus and don't live hopelessly. Read it and defeat the lies of the enemy. Read it until you believe it. So preach the words. Third, pray for revival. Pray for revival. Pray that the Spirit of God 
would do his work of breathing life into the dry bones of our valley. And pray that he would change your attitude. Pray that he would change the way that you think. Pray pray that God would change you into confirmation with his, his being, who he is. Pray for God's spirit to work. Pray that the spirit will breathe life into our valley as we preach the word. Pray for that. Pray for it. The word of God. Prayer. And then lastly, I want you to remember this. The best is yet to come. Yep, it's true. I used to not believe it. I used to think, oh, that's a cliche thing to say. The best is yet to come. No, if you trust in Jesus, the best is yet to come because he promised that he will return and he will return for his own. He's preparing a place for those who love him, who know him, who have received him. Your best days are not behind you because Jesus' return is still to come. And so pray for it. Don't give up hope. Preach the word to yourself, to each other. Pray for revival. And remember, the best is yet to come. Let's stand. And let's close our service in this way. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word today, which is an encouragement, a light to us right now in the darkness of some valleys that we may be going through. And God, I want to just pray your blessing and your peace upon those that may be going through a dark valley of their own right now. God, we we don't want to live hopeless. We don't want to live defeated because we know that you bring hope. You bring peace. You have defeated the enemy of sin. So God, I pray that over those that are here right now. Pray God that as they seek you, as they they hold on to the hope of Jesus, as they preach the word to themselves, as they pray for revival and remember the best is yet to come, God, that you would transform their thoughts and their lives to be those that are followers of you and seek you daily. God, I pray that if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, God, that they would reach out to you who is the way, the truth, and the life. That they would just say simply, Lord Jesus, I know I need you. I need you to rescue me from my valley of sin. Would you come into my life and would you save me? I repent of my sin and I turn to you. You alone are the way, the truth. And the life, and I give myself to you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, God, for the work you're doing here in Valley Church. Help us, God, to continue to seek and serve and send people here in this valley. In Jesus' name, amen.